1: Welcome to Smart People Podcast. I am Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. Good to see you all again. Happy to have you. I want to ask you a question. All right. So say you go on a site like eBay and you're you're going to sell something. Have you ever thought about the process by which you're selling it? Are you asking me or are you asking... No, because you now know. The you, collective you listeners interview the as a whole. What I'm saying is oftentimes you take for granted what you use on the internet. And these things, as we come to find out, are called products. Not the kind of product you're not going down to the store and buying a pair of moccasins like Roach has up on our desk right now. But you're using these things every day. Twitter, for example. it's not j- You don't just type in a few words and they go across. There are numerous things that go into this. And it's a fascinating world. How do you take it from idea to implementation? How do you create these? And then how do you determine that they'll actually work? That's what we're going to discover today. I was going to say, I have no idea. We better ask somebody. Yeah, we better. And I will say there's no more freeloading on this podcast. We talked to some of the smartest people. This guy that we talked to today has been doing this for 30 years. He was head of product development at eBay. He was the VP of product at AOL and Netscape. He was a software engineer at HP Labs. He founded the Silicon Valley product group if you get what I'm saying, the guy knows his stuff. He's amazing. And you guys just get to listen to it. So all we ask in return, check us out on smartpeoplepodcast.com. Go there, read the posts that I write, you know, sign up for our newsletter, which by the way, we are going to be sending out a information packet, if you will. It's going to be some things like the best of or updates, things like that. So just go ahead and and sign up for that. Whatever you want to do, just participate and we'll keep doing this for free. John, you want to tell them who we're talking to this week? Yeah, we're talking to Marty Kagan. Marty Kagan. He wrote a book, Inspired, How to Create Products Customers Love. And the thing is, he talks about products in the software technological terms. But again, it doesn't get overly techie. This is just talking about how to create groups within your organization and silo them so that they each know what they're doing, but can come together and create really amazing things.
0: One of the things that I was most impressed with was how passionate and happy he was while he was talking about this stuff. You could just hear it in his voice. So when you go into listening to this interview with Marty, just listen for that passion, which, you know, Chris and I, we started this podcast to find our passion. So we always find it funny anytime that we hear somebody that's super passionate about their line of work. So enjoy this interview with
1: Marty Kagan. want to dive right in. I, I will say that I noticed you have a bunch of shout outs, you know, your book and everything from some really high up people in the tech world, software development. One of my favorites was a managing director of eBay said at eBay of all the leaders in the past decade, Marty had the most significant and lasting impact on how we create products. That is a huge endorsement. And I think it's just a testament to everything you do. I mean, you're creating stuff all over the place.
2: I have been doing this for quite a while. I just marked my 30th year doing products in the tech world. So, wow, yeah, it's been a while.
1: You know, one of the things John and I were kind of debating, what do you consider to be a product? When you talk about product management, product development, a lot of people think of it in different terms. So I was hoping you could kind of hone in on what you're speaking of specifically.
2: Well, of course, there's there's many, many kinds of products. I work exclusively in the technology world. And so in our world, there are um, there are certainly direct technology products, like if somebody sells you a web server or a browser, that's a product that where it gets a little murky is um, if if you imagine a large e-commerce company or any size e-commerce company like a Walmart.com or an Amazon, we have to be a little careful there because the they basically sell merchandise. And in fact, in companies like that, we usually use the term merchandise to distinguish from the rest of the experience. So Even though this isn't literally um, necessarily intuitive, we refer to product as everything except the merchandise that's Uh, sold. So would
0: it be safe to say that a product would be a feature of that website? Like if you introduce a new feature of Walmart.com where people can search a certain way, would that search feature be a product?
2: Sure. It's, it's either a product or part of a product. Um, we actually define product even broader than the features or the functionality. It certainly includes um, how you grow, how you get more customers. It includes how you make money, how you monetize. Uh, it certainly includes the technology. It includes the design of that technology, the interaction design, the industrial design, the visual design. So it, it really includes everything. Uh, we try to we try to mean that holistically. everything except in the case of, say, a uh, a media site that's selling music or movies, obviously, where that's a separate product in its own right the 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 media that you're selling.
0: See, that makes a lot more sense now because I was I was looking at stuff online and I saw, you know there would be a product manager at Twitter, and I was thinking to myself, okay, Twitter is a product. What else are they putting out there? But if you look at that as, the user interface, the design, all that, that helps it clear up immensely.
2: Yeah. I mean, at one level, Twitter looks simple. Uh, But if you dig in, there's a lot to Twitter. There's a lot of developers at Twitter. Basically, the product people are working with the developers to come up with good stuff to build. And Mm -hmm. so there's kind of a proportional product team to the engineering team, and it's definitely a sizable team at Twitter, like in most you know, substantial places.
1: You know, it, it's so funny because I'm not a huge tech guy. John is, and I tend to look at Twitter and go, ah, "It's just a website where a bunch of people have a handle and they just type in some words and hit tweet." But you're right that there's all these things that go into it and a thought process every day of how to make it better, how to stay competitive, and that is what you bring to the table, right? You're kind of always analyzing what needs to be done to uh, help the user experience, to keep the company going, moving forward, right?
2: That's right. Usually we try to drive based on KPIs or, um, you know, what's important to the business. In some early stages, it's, for example, it's usually all about growth. Until you kind of grow to critical mass, you're just yet another experiment out there. So you're focused really hard on growth. Yeah, once you reach a certain stage, a lot of times the focus will move something like, how are you going to make money? How are you going to basically keep yourselves in business? But uh, those the, the focus of the business can change over time, but the product teams are, are trying to find ways to accomplish that.
1: All right, so now that we dove into that a little bit, walk me through a little bit about how you do this. I mean, do you sit in a room with a bunch of guys who know where they want to get to, and and you help them realize how they do that. I, I'm really interested in the creative process. How do you come up with the idea? And then how do you take it from idea to implementation?
2: I do spend a good chunk of my time advising startups. Um, but more generally, I spend time trying to show startup teams and bigger companies too how to do this themselves. I'm one person doesn't scale all that well. So I like the idea of just sort of sharing this with a lot. That's why I wrote a book and I, I, I I write blogs constantly because I want to try to share these things. So in general, what I'll talk about here, unless you want to go in a different direction, I'd talk about what, um, you know, just what I encourage teams do themselves.
1: Yes. No, that, that'd be great. I mean, really, this is the type of stuff that people want to take away from this 30 minute chat is what do I do? How do I do it? Because it is scary to think, hey, I, I want to get a hundred thousand people using my product. Um, okay, now what? I mean, it's terrifying.
2: It is. Uh, it is. But it's uh, it's also a lot of fun, um, and I would say it's better now than I think it's ever been. Um, but uh, let's so let's get to your question. You know, really, um, I, I don't want to oversimplify this. I mean, there's a lot of sweat that goes into making any product, really, but. Um, Maybe I'd say really three things that matter the most. The first thing is you have to start with a real purpose or a real problem to solve. I will tell you that most of the startup ideas that I'm presented with are really frustrating because they're just feature ideas or they're just some app that somebody has an idea for and there are uh, but they're not actually trying to change anything in any significant way. They're just trying to get, you know, that five minutes of fame
0: mm-hmm.
2: in the store. And and that's, um, I, I just don't see that correlating with success. So I'd say the most important thing you kind of have to start with is a vision and a purpose, something you really want to ch- do or impact the world. It doesn't have to change the world in any you know, humanitarian way necessarily, but it should be significant. The kind of thing that is compelling the people and you can attract a team to really work on. So I'd say the first thing is start with purpose. I call that product vision. The second thing I'd say is, is critical is uh, uh, realizing that products today come really from a collaboration. And I don't just mean that in a, a you know, politically correct term. I mean a true collaboration between three key competencies. Uh, the first competency is, is what we call product, or product ownership, or product management, whatever you'd like to call it. In a startup, it's usually brought by one of the co-founders. In bigger company, they're often product managers, but the idea is they're bringing deep knowledge of the customers, deep knowledge of the data, deep knowledge of the industry, and they're, they're bringing the deep knowledge of the business to the team. Then there's the second key competency is design. Um, and even design is really uh, two or three competencies, depending on the kind of product. Design is really referring here to user experience design. And it is, uh, it is the most often missing key competency in my experience. Teams think all they need is engineers. <laughs> I see that. Easily every week, that team that thinks all they need is engineers, and they don't understand why they're running out of money and still haven't got traction because they're missing that key competency of design. And then the third is engineering. You do need engineers, absolutely. If you can't build it, um, you don't have anything. But it's more than that, too. I, I don't think of engineers as just coders. I think of engineers as much more than that. In fact, uh, I think the little secret in product is that the engineers are typically the single best source of innovation. And I think the explanation for that is just that they know what's possible better than anyone. So it's product design and engineering. And if you don't have those three competencies, I think you're gonna run out of money before you get product market fit. So that's the second big thing. So assuming you've got some purpose and you have those competencies on your team, it might be two or three engineers, it might be a designer and a product leader. I'd say the third big thing is you need to get really good at what we call product discovery. And product discovery is just a term for, uh, honestly, for dealing with what I call the two inconvenient truths of product. And this doesn't sound so great, but it's a reality. It's definitely honest. But the truth is that at least, at least two-thirds of our ideas are never going to work.
0: <laughs>
2: and know that. Now, there's a lot of reasons ideas might not work. I'd say the biggest reason is because customers are not as excited about them as we are. That's by far the biggest. But they're, sometimes they're very excited about them, but it's so complicated. They just conclude it's more trouble than it's worth. Or they love the, the promise of the idea. The problem is it would take so long to build it. It's just not worth it. Or any number of other reasons you just the idea doesn't pan out so the first inconvenient truth is at least two-thirds of these ideas are not going to work and then the other inconvenient truth is that at least a third the other third are going to require several iterations usually three or four iterations before it actually makes money or does what it's supposed to do we say time to money rather time to market because Getting it to market is meaningless if it doesn't actually do what you need it to do. So it usually takes three or four iterations. So most companies don't have enough time and money to go through all of these ideas and build them and launch them to find out that they don't work. So discovery is all about how do you, we say, validate those ideas fast. Um, Literally, it's usually done in hours or days. So that we can get to the ones that really do work and uh, get those successful. You know, one of my favorite quotes in product is actually from Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, because I think it captures the product world really well, which is he said he likes to say, be stubborn on vision. He's referring to the product vision, be stubborn on vision, but be very flexible on details. Truth is, all those ideas are just details. And so who cares if a bunch of the ideas don't work as long as you make the vision come true.
0: Do you have any recent favorites, whether it's part of a company that you've been with or just a company that you've seen that have moved through all of these different phases well?
2: Oh, I think there's a lots of them um, out there. You probably know and love many of them. Uh, I'd say a couple of my personal favorites. I love the the Etsy team and the Etsy product. Have you followed Etsy, ETS? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, like the the homemade arts and crafts arts and crafts stuff it's kind of like the an eBay store but homemade crafts
2: sellers allowed just the makers and the buyers mm-hmm. and they're they're actually a brooklyn based company and they're a fabulous team and i'd why love, i love i also love using their their product their site but i no, i love the team yeah they they know how to do what we've just been talking about they have a very strong sense of purpose and ethos they really are trying to improve the world they have very strong competencies in what I described and in true collaboration, and they are quite good at product discovery and very open about sharing what they learn and their mistakes. It's part of their ethos. Another company out here on the West Coast that I love is called Pocket. Do you know Pocket? They they used to be called Read Later. Absolutely
1: love Pocket. It yeah. is it is probably my favorite app, and I have to say, John showed it to me. I use it ten times a day.
2: Awesome. Well, uh, I'm glad to hear that. And I know that the team there would be glad to hear that. too. I love their product. They have some, they really also very strong purpose. You know, they didn't create that company to just do a, a reader. They did it to really, you know, time shift consumption and it's a lot more than articles today. It's videos and it's music and it's, it's terrific.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because Pocket, I mean, they weren't the only game in town, you know. They were competing with a lot of other apps that did similar things but I had, you know, three or four of them on my iPhone and then it got whittled down to just Pocket because they by far had the best user experience and they just made it the easiest.
2: Yeah, again, you can see these attributes coming out in these great products and great teams. Yeah, there's, but there's that's one of the things I've never seen so many uh, comp, good companies as, as there are today.
1: I'm always fascinated. Things like Instagram or Pocket, they are there's such competition, and then they just shoot out away from everybody else, and you wonder how the hell did they do that? I mean, how do you look at all this competition and not get scared and not? fall into the trap of wondering what everyone else is doing and really assert yourself as the best, the one and
2: only. There's no question that a lot of companies make the mistake of just focusing on the competitors. Uh, What I always tell teams is is don't even worry about your competitors because the truth is that people like you and me that love Pocket, we're not going to leave Pocket for a competitor. We're only going to leave Pocket if the guys at Pocket stop taking care of us. And it's, you know, you have to give people a good re- you know, reason to go somewhere else. And um, if you focus on really providing that value, um, I, I, I really don't. I think it's a waste of energy to focus. And you end up just copying the bad mistakes that the other players made, too. So um, the, the, the good news is that a lot of companies don't understand best practices. And, and so if you do the kinds of things we're talking about, you've got a pretty good head start.
1: I want to go back to the things you talked about, specifically product discovery and validation. I think that that's such a tough part to come up with something, see if it works, and move on. What do you find the best ways of determining if something's going to work or not?
2: Well, it actually takes me a full day to answer that question with teams. There are, <laughs> there are uh, well, I mean, in my arsenal, there's over 100 techniques for doing product discovery. Uh, For example, there's four main kinds of prototypes and they all answer different questions. And we do, we use all of them. Um, Some of them are low fidelity means it's not very realistic, but it's quick and other ones are uh, live data. Other ones are live traffic. Other ones are for testing uh, the technology out. But the idea is you use the techniques I mean, the general overarching principle is we validate the fastest, cheapest way we can. And depending on what we're validating, we use the techniques that are most appropriate for that. So sort of the art of doing product today is choosing the techniques, staying on top of the techniques, first of all, because they're really rapidly evolving uh, and improving, but picking those techniques and using them so that we can very quickly get to something good
1: could you give me just one or two examples of a technique would it be something like a beta version or sending out you know something as simple as sending out surveys or bringing in test groups is it those kind of things
2: those are all uh legitimate techniques they're they're all old techniques <laughs> uh, for example a beta would be something that you know if you if you're at the stage of a beta you've done most of the work so it's 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 not the fastest, cheapest way. That would be uh, almost very expensive, slow way. Sure. Um, we don't. We don't really do focus groups anymore, to be honest. Um, that's a bigger topic. Um, I would say one of the most common mistakes teams make is is that they do focus groups or some variant of that, where they they think they can ask customers what they should build or what they want. And the sad thing is, um, believe me, I wish, more than anybody, it was that easy. But there are really um, two big reasons why that doesn't work. The first is that, and this is not a diss on customers, it applies to me, it applies to everybody. The first is that um, customers, none of uh, they don't know what's possible. Unless you're working on that area, if you're working on, like, what the guys at Pocket are doing, or the kind of marketplace that he's doing, unless you know what's possible, you just imagine things based on what you already know and the the second issue and it applies to all of us including those of us that do know what's possible for that area, is that none of us really know what we want until after we see it not before. So that's why focus groups are so so misleading. Uh, we don't we don't know what we want until after we see it. so we I, I, I think I know what I want all the time and then we build it and then we validate it and we realize that's why we don't want it. So um, that's why we don't use techniques like that. Um, Unfortunately, we have much better techniques. One of the mantras at Google that I love is data beats opinions. and Because a lot of this is, that's the way we used to do it, is just somebody's opinion. Whether it was my opinion or the customer's opinion, it was still an opinion. And so uh, we'll, one of the most common techniques to maybe more directly answer your question, one of the most popular techniques today is something called a live data prototype. A live data prototype is just enough of your product, it's usually roughly 20, 30 percent of the real product, just enough so that you could send some real traffic there, some data, some users to it, and actually see how they behave. So enough with what people think they're gonna do, let's look what they really do. In fact, you could sort of break the techniques we have into two categories. One is prove something works, and this is one of those techniques to prove something works. And then the second sort of bucket of techniques is to understand why it doesn't work and how to fix it.
1: That's a great point. And I really like you kind of dispelling the myths of the old. And I'm I'm glad that we're talking to you and I'm not the one on the other end of the phone because I apparently don't know what I'm talking about. But, you know, one of the things that really I was so excited to talk to you about and I kind of alluded to it, but the creative process. I mean, sitting there and you're sitting in front of an executive board or a creative team, whatever it might be, and they have their purpose clearly defined. And now they're going through the process of, here's what we want to do. There's, Have you found anything, any special tools or things that you might do to really foster creativity in these groups?
2: Well, I mean, we've got lots of different ideation techniques to kind of come up with the cool ideas. Um, in my experience, that's the easy part. Uh, the harder part is um, being able to quickly figure out which of those ideas really work with customers. But I think to answer your question, the most important element is really that getting those three skill sets product design and engineering literally I, i'm not exactly i'm not i'm i'm i mean this literally not just figuratively they should sit right next to each other those three people should be sitting right next to each other normally the tool that they're collaborating around is a prototype of one one of the many flavors we have and it's it really is a um, those that have never had a chance to try that process when they do they they love it it's it's really a fun process it's um it's, it's not a strict one where the only one allowed to suggest a design idea is a designer and things like that. The only one allowed to suggest a feature is a product. It's not like that at all. All three of them are trying to come up with something that really makes that vision come true. And so it's, um, it really is a, a highly interactive process. The, the fuel to the fire is um, you need to have lots of access to users and customers. And then maybe the other point I'd ha- make is um, I think success, this is the product discovery process we're talking about, but the success and discovery is really directly correlated to the number of at-bats the team gets, number of really attempts. If, a, if you're a typical team that's using Methods from 10 years ago, maybe you get two or three at bats before you run out of money or in a bigger company, management runs out of patience. <laughs> two or three at bats, maybe. If you're a modern team using modern practices, you know the sort of benchmark we use is 15 at bats or 15 iterations a week. Wow. So you're able, and you get a lot smarter, a lot faster in that model than if you're learning very slow.
1: That's mind blowing. And it shows the speed of technology and what we can do these days. And that should help us make much better products. And I think we're seeing that. I mean, just usability in general uh, with software and on the internet is really skyrocketed. I was wondering if in, in almost a case study fashion, you could let us know of a, a product you've worked on in the past that we might be using today. And if you could just give us a little insight to how that process went down.
2: Oh, well, I had a chance to work on quite a few products that were um, popular. Maybe one of the um, my last real job was at eBay. Uh, after eBay, I've been advising and investing in in startups mostly and but at eBay, um, you know there were lots of eBay was being born when I was there, it was early eBay. When, um, in fact, when I got there, the site wasn't even instrumented, really. We had to, this was before you could buy good off-the-shelf tools like Omniture or Google Analytics. So we did what most teams did, which is sort of do it ourselves. But we instrumented the site and found, um, and basically found, wasn't pretty. (laughs) um, I don't know if you remember early eBay, but it was really hard to use. I mean, truly hard to use. The good news, and you have to credit really the, the co-founder, Pierre Omajar, for this. The good news is it had tremendous value. It really, wanted, I think it was the first large-scale application built on the Internet as a platform. And it had tremendous value. You really couldn't do what it did anywhere else. Um, and it, it only got more so. But the idea was um, it was really hard to do, use. And one of the first things we... Instrumented was uh, had the process of actually listing an item on eBay. If you've ever sold anything on eBay, you probably used it. It's called sell your item. And um, when we looked at the data, it was just downright scary. A huge percentage of people were just giving up, a huh. bailing basically, because they were so frustrated. So we actually brought in, we, we could see that. Um, the good news is that meant there was a lot of upside there because the company was making pretty great money, <laughs> all those problems. So the thought was, if we could improve that, not only is it helping a lot of people, but it's certainly helping the business. And so uh, we went and looked, we tested on those users and figured out where the problems were. Uh, and uh, then we went about fixing it. And I mean, even I was among the most lucrative projects I'd worked on, but uh Yeah, this is not an unusual story, really. It it happens with most sites. I'd say, number one, it shows that the most important thing of all, even more important than being usable, is the value. If you have the value there, people will put up with it. If the value's not there, it doesn't really matter how usable it is.
0: (laughs) And it has to be one of the most underappreciated things, too, because a lot of people take that process for granted. Like a lot of people didn't realize how much time and effort went into fixing the sell your item process. So, you know, when somebody sees that it gets better, they're like, oh, eBay's better now. It's, it's great. But they don't think about all the man hours and the people that spent all the time figuring out exactly what was wrong and then how it was fixed. So I imagine you might have one of the most underappreciated jobs in the world.
2: Yeah, that's all normal, but I, you know, you don't expect people, or really expect people to appreciate the sausage making inside <laughs> there. No, they definitely appreciate it when when it works well, and I love the eBay community, and still it's an amazing community, and that's uh, like the Etsy community. It's got, it's, it's, you know, the, the communities are are sort of where you get a lot of your energy from.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, people willing to put in their input and let you know how to make it better and really kind of craft it around them. I mean, I guess we haven't touched on it too much, but do you really hone in on making sure that these companies constantly have the consumer or customer in mind when they're creating these things?
2: The short answer is absolutely. But I will I'll say in most companies I work with, we have to dial that way, way up you know everybody gives lip service to the customer <laughs> everybody does that but usually what they mean by that are surveys and focus groups and voice of the customer and customer service that's sort of what they mean that's not what i mean and what we mean what i mean and i think what the best teams mean is a much deeper relationship with customers where you are really committing to making them successful. And that means getting to know them, know how they use your products, how they need to use your products at a much deeper level than they could ever tell you in a survey.
1: Right. No, I completely agree. And it's funny because you say that a lot of times you don't see that in companies and you have to probably shake them and say, look, these are the people paying your bills. We really got to figure out exactly what they want. So it's just, it's surprising. And one thing that really kind of stuck out to me is you said you're doing a lot of investing now and you've been doing this for 30 years you know what a good company and or product is going to look like how do you determine which ones you're going to invest in for the for the marty kagan you know dollars to come flowing in what do they have to show you up front
2: well first thing i'd correct i'm a minor investor for sure <laughs> compared to most of silicon valley i think <laughs> but uh and so I, I because my what i like to do is actually work with product teams so mostly i contribute my advice more than my money like a venture capitalist right i work with a number of teams and sometimes the chemistry is quite good with a team and i'll join them as an advisor and sometimes uh, when, uh with a company i'm advising I'll um, have the opportunity to invest as well, and that's kind of how I personally work. Oh, okay. So
1: usually, you prefer to to be on the inside rather than just throw money their way.
2: I'd be on the inside. I like to. Uh, that's what I like to do is work with teams.
1: And would you say that one of the number one things you're looking for is agility? I feel like that's probably something that is almost paramount in this type of product management.
2: Yeah. When you say agility, um, you mean, well, you might mean agile, literally, which is a set of processes that all the development teams really use. You might mean that they're just very flexible and they can move quickly and adapt.
1: Yep. It's that one. (laughs) I don't even know what the agile part is.
2: (laughs) So, yeah, I, I want that. But I also want people that are truly committed to a cause. We don't give up on our vision easily. So it's something that we will keep going at and going at for a long time. Uh, At a certain point, you have to consider maybe it's not going to happen. There's another quote in our business, which is we have to get good at distinguishing vision from illusion. But but for the most part, we are taking that vision and pounding at it until we can make it true.
1: No, and I love that. I mean – it's the whole passion thing. We actually talk about that a lot on the podcast. That can carry you through a lot of ups and downs, I feel
2: like. It can.
1: All right, Marty. Well, I know you're a busy man. You probably have you know, five different groups asking for your attention as we speak, so I definitely appreciate you being on the show. Your book is fantastic, Inspired, How to Create Products Customers Love. And it's entirely focused around product management. But these things carry into all aspects of business and customer service and relationships. And I know you're doing this kind of work at the Silicon Valley product group. Where can our listeners go to kind of find you, learn more about you, sign up for your emails, which, you know, your blog posts are great as well. So I definitely would like you to kind of let them know where they can get more information from you.
2: Well, thanks. Uh, Yeah, the website is... SVPG.com. It stands for Silicon Valley Product Group.com and public blog, newsletters. We, we share everything openly.
1: That's one of the things that John always talks about is now the way to make it is you give things away and people see the value, and then they're willing to buy the extras. I mean, it's really the way to do it now. It's not nickel and dime people. It's show you're there to help them out, and they'll and they'll follow, and they'll be part of that community. And that's, that's definitely what you're doing. So as a, a user of numerous products, thanks for making them easy to use, and we really appreciate you being on the show.
2: My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. All
1: right. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wait, wait, wait. Don't go anywhere, guys. We know you want to go on to the next Smart People Podcast episode. But real quickly, just wanted to say, uh, keep us in business by using our Amazon widget. No cost to you. Top of the website at Smart People Podcast. Click on the link before you purchase anything. That helps us out. Um, also, if you head over to iTunes, give us a five-star rating. We're just trying to keep this train rolling. Yeah, and I won't hold
0: Chris's lack of technology against him when he keeps calling it the Amazon widget. It's only a banner, but don't worry. I don't even know what the hell a widget is. Yeah, It's okay. It's just the top of the page. It's the banner, the Amazon gigantic banner that you can't miss. Please keep using it. You guys have been using it during the month of January. It's helping us fund some cool projects that we've got going on, Mm -hmm. keep the lights on, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I made fun of Chris
1: for it, but don't hold that against us. We just spent literally half of our budget Yes, we did. Which is a three-figure number. (laughs) Um, We just spent that on an awesome thing we have coming up. I I think it'll happen within the next month. You guys will start reaping the rewards. And we're continuing to see awesome flow. You know, downloads are really going up. People are coming, commenting, sending us emails. We're reaching out to who they want. You want to hear somebody. So thanks for being a part. Make sure to tune in next week. We're keeping this going. We have some awesome interviews. Shout out to Luke Martin. Thanks for always hitting us up.